While we remain standing just a moment, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are approaching thy throne of mercy in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're nearing the end of this convention now. And it is told us in the scriptures that Jesus at the end of the feast stood and cried. There might have been expectations that he had hoped that would have been fulfilled. God, we are waiting with great anticipations, knowing the feebleness of human beings. But, God, we have expected a great outpouring of your Spirit, something extraordinary. Now look upon your little servant, Carl Williams. See his little twisted hands scraping his feet across the ground, sitting here pouring something into his nose constantly to breathe. Know that both day and night has he worked and labored. My heart goes for him. God, you won't disappoint him. Now this week passing through the valley here with these your servants preaching in their churches they never told me what to speak, just said, go on. You see that fine cooperation and lovely spirit? They too are here waiting for something to happen. So we literally feel the Holy Spirit crying out in us, Come, Lord Jesus. Fill our expecting hearts. Give us that what we are searching for, Lord. Great measure of your grace, we pray. We are unworthy to ask such a blessing. Lord, there is none of us worthy, but we do not cling to that. We are only thinking of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that he had cleansed us. And we come asking in his name now that each heart will be ministered to sometime between now and the closing of the service, that when we leave the day from here and go to our different places, may we be able to say like those coming from Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us? For the risen Lord walked with them, and he did something in the midst of them. After walking with him all day and they did not understand just who he was, they know it was a blessing to be with such a teacher. But when he did something, just like he did it before the crucifixion, they knew no man does that like that but he. And they really knew that it was the Lord Jesus. Quickly they went to tell others. God, we pray that it will repeat again today. Do the exceedingly abundantly for us, Lord. We might leave this convention Monday night going to our homes in different places and saying, Did not our hearts burn within us? As we heard him speaking to his servants, 
throughout the convention. Grant these things, Lord, to we unworthy servants, in the name of your holy child, Jesus. Amen. Be seated. Let's sure by no other This is indeed an extraordinary time for me, and I'm under great anticipation also and expectations for something to take place during this meeting that's different. And if we should be closing the service this afternoon, I'm sure that all of us could say, it's been good to be here. The first night to hear Brother Oral Roberts and his mighty message to the people of the morals, decay of the people. Then along come one of the most impact messages of 12 or 15 minutes from our brother, Velmer Gardner. I looked upon him and admired him with great admiration. How did he could pack so much in just a little time? I was telling my wife back there that about it when we got home, and she said, "Well," said Bill, "that's what they always you keep them too long." I said, "Honey, I'm just too slow. I I can't think of it that fast. God's just merciful to me to let me be slow, I guess." And Kindly let me go along, show me his goodness. Then to hear a medical doctor the other night. Yes, last night. Right, Brother Shakir. You know, I have many fine medical doctor friends. I was interviewed at Mayo's. You know, you got the magazine, the, the I believe it's called the or Reader's Digest. About five years ago, the miracle of Donnie Martin over there in California. And I met that staff of doctors there, the nicest fellows you want to meet. But when I heard a, uh, that doctor the other night giving that exhortation about Jesus, I thought he might be real good on his diagnosis of, if he's going to examine the physical body and he didn't do too good or too bad a job on diagnosing the spiritual condition, <laughs> had a real good diagnosis of that. And the words that he said, I hope I never have to call for his service. But if I ever do, I want a man like that to perform the operation if I ever have to have one. One that's got his trust in the Lord. Amen. Along with that, and hearing other man, some of them I didn't even know, I certainly believe it would be great if we just went home right now. It would be wonderful. But I believe he's going to grant us some more blessings because there's many here. I'm waiting to hear this Brother Brown, I believe, tomorrow night. And uh, I've never heard Episcopalian, huh? <laughs> Presbyterian. <laughs> Mistake like that, I might as well read the scripture and go on here. May I say this, Brother Brown, a brother in Christ. 
I know him right then. <laughs> I've heard much about him, and I sure want to hear him. Get to meet all of our friends, and then the little chopped up, stirred up message yesterday morning. Then to see Satan jump on a little woman, rush her out there. All the people just be spiritual. Standing here, I felt that great pressure. She went out, and I prayed, Heavenly Father, send the Holy Spirit after her. He called her right out there. Brought her back, cast the evil from her. I understand she got the Holy Ghost now. Just, so we're thankful for that. In my name, they shall cast out devil. Now let's turn to a, a scripture, and I've got about six pages of them wrote down here, but I won't get to all of those, but, but just a few, and just express my thanks to all of you for your fine fellowship cooperation and can bear with me the way you do. Was that a little church this morning, the Church of God, over here somewhere back? We went up this way went back. Uh, I wouldn't know where it was at, but certainly a lovely pastor there also. And that church had just waited. I was just ten days late for that church. <laughs> ten days late. But we certainly had a wonderful time. Fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Now you that mark down texts, if I should call it that, or you mark down the scripture reading from Joshua, the book of Joshua, feeling that the Holy Spirit has laid this upon my heart for this afternoon. Joshua 10, 12, one verse. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon. And thou moon in the valley of Agilon. See, that's an unusual text. That's right. Or an unusual scripture reading. My text this afternoon is a paradox. You know, God takes unusual things, does things in unusual ways. And he's very unusual, but he works all things together for good to them that love him. Drawing from this the conclusion of the subject of a paradox. Now I went thinking of that, I got the dictionary. And I thought that's kind of an unusual word. We don't use it too much. And I thought, maybe, Lord, because you placed that up on my heart, there may be something there that I should look up. And Webster's Dictionary says, a paradox is something incredible but true. Something that's incredible, but yet it's true. doesn't seem like it could be true at all, but it is true. That's a paradox. I begin to think then how many paradoxes that we could point out. And if we would stop this afternoon, it would amaze you to see how many things that scientifically it could not be, but yet it is. 
This world hanging in space is a paradox. We're told that it's turning around, making this complete circle every 24 hours. And it's approximately 25,000 miles around the world. And you know, you can. there's nothing in the world that'll move that perfect like that world does. And the eclipse of the moon from the great solar system. How are they standing in the air, revolving so perfectly and around the equator till you can time it for 20 or 30 years and it'll not miss a second? I have a watch here. And it was given to me by some good friends over when I was in Switzerland. It's just a common Swiss watch. A little watch probably cost about $150 or something. But it's a good one to me. And it's called the Vulcan Cricket. And it's one of the best timepieces I ever wore. Yet I can set that and time it within a two or three months it's either fast or slow. And there's nothing that we have that will keep anything perfect. But God's time is perfect. It just doesn't miss a tick. How is this great celestial ball hanging in the air, not fastened onto anything, turning itself around and around this way every 24 hours and every 12 months completely around from the sun coming back. Summer, winter, autumn, spring, perfect, just exactly, and it's been doing that for thousands of years. There's not a man on earth that can explain that. Which is up and down? Is the North Pole on top or is the South Pole on top? We don't know because we're in space. And you throw a ball in the air and can watch it. It will not make two revolutions in the same place. It's falling, going up, and it's making its own wind and just as the earth gravitation, holding it. But it won't turn twice in the same spot. It's either going up or coming down. But yet this great ball has turned thousands times thousands of years. Not missed a bit. That's a paradox. It's a paradox when you watch that moon. Look at the tides out on the coast here. How those angry waves, about uh, four-fifths of the earth almost in water, go to the seashore and watch that tide as those angry big waves breaking way out there, half a mile out in the ocean or more, beating against that ocean bank. Why does it just come on over? There's just one thing keeping it from doing so. That's the moon. That moon, God's watchdog, he watches over that seashore because God had set its boundaries and he cannot pass that. But when that moon begins to turn around to look at Father, notice that tide will slip out or slip in. Then when he turns back, he takes his place again. It has to, because it's God's watchdog. That moon, millions of miles away from the earth, how can it affect the earth? 
How can it draw a line? Why don't that sea run in a few hundred miles and then stop? Because God set its boundaries. It cannot pass that. And he's got a watchman to see that it doesn't pass it. And anyone knows when the moon goes down, the tide goes with it. Rises, it rises with it. Another paradox. No one can explain it. We don't know how. What effect that, that moon upon the earth would have and what would it do to the tide? It's a paradox. We can plant a seed in the earth and that seed will lay in the earth all through the winter like a, a wheat. That wheat seed is composed of a skin on the outside. Then the inside is a pulp. And in that middle of that pulp is a germ. That's life. That's the way you're composed. You got made up of soul, body, and spirit. The outside, which is the body, is controlled by five senses. You enter that body by five senses. See, taste, feel, smell, and hear. Inside the body is a soul. That soul has five gates, conscience and so forth, memory. But inside of that is the spirit. That's what controls it all. There's only one gate to that, and that's a free moral agency to act, receive or refuse. And that seed planted in the ground, then what happens? The winter comes on and bursts it. The skin's gone. The pup's gone. I'm that germ of life. You can't find it. But in the springtime, it comes back again. Here some time ago, I was down in Kentucky, a squirrel hunting. And I, we, it was dry weather, and we couldn't find any squirrels, so we went over to the knob part of the country. Mr. Wood, a friend of mine, said, Well, Brother Branham said, I know a man over there has got lots of timber, and there's some big hollers down deep. They'll probably be damp. We can slip through those. And while I was over there, why... We pulled up to a house, and he said, I wouldn't get out because this fellow's an infidel. He said, he just doesn't believe in God, and he curses the very thoughts of God. I said, all right, I'll stay in the car. So then we pulled up, and he walked over under a little apple tree where the old man was sitting, about 75. And he spoke to him and called him by name. He said, my name is Bank Wood. He said, I would like to know if we could hunt on your place. The old fellow looked at him and said, Are you Jim Wood's son? He said, I am. He said, Help yourself. Anywhere you want to go. Plenty of room here. I've got 500 acres of woods. He said, Well, how is Jim getting along? Talk just a moment. Brother Wood said, Now, he was a Jehovah Witness that his boy, crippled, one leg drawn up under him, was healed in the meeting. He's a contractor, so he just quit contracting and moved next door to him. He'd been there about 10 years. Now, all these people by visions, every one of them, even readers in Jehovah Witness movement, is everyone filled with the Holy Ghost. So then we standing there, he said, I brought my pastor with me. And this old fellow said, Would you don't mean you've got so low down you have to bring a preacher with you everywhere you go? <laughs> and I thought it's time to get out of the car then. So I got out of the car Walked around where the old gentleman was sitting. I said, how do you do? He said, how do you do, sir? And he said, and you're a preacher. I said, yes, sir, I'm supposed to be. And he said, well, he said, I think not much of those fellows. And I said, well, they're pretty good fellows, most of them. 
He said, well, that's the kind I haven't met yet. <laughs> and I, I said, yes, sir. And um, he said, uh, I believe, I said, what makes you say that? He said, I believe they're barking up the wrong tree. Now, anybody knows that a dog that you hunt with at night and he barks the wrong tree, you're always fooled. So he said, they're barking up the wrong tree. And I said, they claim to have something treed, but you can never see it. Yes, sir. And he said, they're always talking about something, but can produce nothing. Yes, sir. He said, there was a certain preacher come here about two years ago, up here at a little place called Acton, up at the Methodist campground. They had a meeting. said, there's an old sister who lives up here on the hills, but dying with cancer. And said... This man had never been in this country and said, at the meeting that night where several thousand people had gathered, he said, this woman's sister was sitting over in there crying about her sister, said she couldn't even get on the bedpan no more. Her wife and I had to pull a draw sheet from beneath her and said she, um, uh, their sister out there with the crying said, this minister looked at that woman and called her name. And said, you're weeping over a sister that's dying with cancer up on a certain ridge. Yes, said the woman. Said the minister said, thus saith the Lord, take that handkerchief right now that you have in your pocketbook, that you put in your pocketbook when you left home and took it out of a top dresser drawer. A little handkerchief with initial in the corner of it, white handkerchief with a blue initial. Take that handkerchief and lay it on the woman in the name of the Lord. And said she'll get well. Well, said the woman took off with some more people and said, Honest, it's three miles early over there. And said, We thought they had the Salvation Army on that hillside around 10 o'clock one night. But said, We went over there the next morning and the old lady was up cooking breakfast, eating fried apple pies for breakfast. And said, that's been two or three years ago. And said, you know, she hasn't even had a sick day since. He said, now, if I could see something like that happen. Oh, I said, you. Brother Woods looked over at me and I shook my head. So he said, um, standing there, dirt and squirrel blood and everything. Whiskers about that long, been in the hills camping. And I, I said, uh, does that puzzle you? He said, no, sir. I said, do you mind if I have one of those apples? He said, help yourself. The yellow jackets are eating them up. <laughs> I said, all right. I rubbed it on my old dirty pants and took off a bike. I said, that's a good apple. He said, sure is. I planted that tree there 35 years ago. Hmm? I said, let's see. This is about the last week in August. Yes, sir. I said, sir, I want to ask you a question. He said, go right ahead. I said... When you planted that tree there, how big was it? Oh, it said it just a sprout about this high. And I said, I want to ask you, it's right now the last week in August. We haven't even had a cool night. But the apples are all dropped off that tree and the leaves is dropped off of it. That leaf has gone back down into the root. That's right. I said, sir, why did that leaf drop off? Did it get wore out? Oh, he said, well, the life left it. Oh, I see. And then the life left it and went back to the root. Yes. I said, sir, if it didn't go back to the root, then what? Well, he said, the tree, it has to go back to the root. The tree wouldn't live. It would die. The winter would kill it. 
said, it gets 20 and 30 below zero down here sometime. And I said, hmm? I said, sir, tell me what intelligence tells that sap to leave the tree and go down to the roots for the winter. Now you set a bucket of water on the post out there and see if the middle of August the water will start going down to the bottom of the post. I said, the tree has no intelligence. It doesn't know the seasons. It has no intelligence. Yet there is an intelligence somewhere that sends that tree back to preserve its life. He said, I hadn't thought of that like that. I said, then you see it right here in your yard. Why would you want to see that preacher then? When you see it right here, I said, the same intelligence that told me that that woman's sister was dying with cancer and in a vision I saw her heal. That same intelligence is so close to you till it controls a tree that's sitting in your yard. Raised up and shut my hand. I led him to Christ that afternoon. Died about a year later. I was down there this year and I met his widow. Went up to ask her to hunt. She's going to run me off the place first. When I got back there, I said, wait just a moment. She wasn't there when I come up. She said, sir, can't you read? I said, yes, ma'am. I come up. I said, you don't know me. She said, no, sir, I don't. Them Indiana license on that car? I said, I'm Brother Branham, your husband. Oh, she started weeping and raised her hands up and began to praise God. She said, son, you can hunt anywhere you want to. Stay as long as you want to. What was it? A paradox. No one knows. No one. You can't find the intelligence that controls Mother Nature. But it's a paradox. We can't explain it. I was thinking of death. I have her own leaves. A leaf hangs on a tree to serve a purpose. And you and I are hanging on a tree of life after we've accepted Christ. And after a while, when the season changes, the life goes out of that leaf down into the root, comes back again next year bringing a new leaf. And we Christians who believe in Christ have eternal life and hanging on the tree of life. But someday this old leaf will drop off, return back to the God that give it only to come again in another season. This season we are divided. We're men and women. And all this is a seeding season. The tree continually year after year to bear record and testimony of a living God. The sun rises and sets to show birth, death, resurrection, birth, death, resurrection, perfectly turning. Summer, winter, autumn, fall, just perfectly showing death, burial, resurrection, death, burial, resurrection. But when we come forth again, it'll be a complete new season. It'll be in the millennium. There will be no more death. Oh, we could stay all afternoon on it. How wonderful to see God's paradoxes, to see how he, he does it. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the third verse, it says in there that God made the world. 
frame the world together with things that does not appear. This very earth that we're sitting on is a paradox. What is it? It's the Word of God made manifest. Think of it. The chair that you're sitting in, the ground that you put your feet on, is a spoken Word of God. He made it without anything to make out of. Only thing he had was his Word, and his Word is a creation in itself. When it's once spoke, it can never return again until it's accomplished that which it's been purposed for. Hallelujah! Doctor, I'm beginning to feel religious. <laughs> His word cannot return until it's accomplished that which has been spoke for. God's awaiting this afternoon on a people that'll take a hold of that word and hold it until it's accomplished that which it was purposed for. Yes, it cannot return. It's a paradox. The whole word of God is a paradox. Cannot return, has to accomplish which it was spoken for. Now, to our text, Joshua. As you read on through the chapter, you'll find that the Bible says that there never was a day like that, before or after, that when God listened to a man. I've got a teenage girl, Rebecca. She's in high school. And here some time ago, I was reading that. And she said, Daddy... Uh, there must be a mistake there somewhere. I said, no mistake. Not a, no mistakes in the Word of God. She said, Daddy, the, Joshua never stopped the sun, Daddy. I said, he said, he stopped the earth. I said, Rebecca, he stopped the sun. She said, Daddy, he couldn't have done it. Well, I said, you think God's Word makes a mistake, honey? said, no, I don't believe that, Daddy, but I believe Joshua just didn't understand. I said, knowing God well enough to perform a miracle like that, and yet he didn't understand? He knew what he was talking about. She said, Daddy, the sun's already stopped. It doesn't move. He stopped the earth. I said, he wasn't talking about that missile. He said, stand still over Gibeon. And in the valley of Agilon... Hold still, and the sun never moved off of Gibeon or Agilon for 24 hours. He wasn't talking about that missile out there. He was talking about the sun crossing the earth. He wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about enough light to bring the enemy of Israel down. The sun is what he was talking about. The sun, the reflection of the sun, that's the sun he is talking about. God's Word doesn't make no mistakes. What it says, it doesn't need any... Somebody's interpretation to twist it around and make it say something it doesn't say. Just take it for what it says. Because it's God's Word. Now, yet that being there, the writer that wrote this book and said there never had been anything like it, that same God that stopped the sun said this. Mark 11, 11, 22 and 23. He said, Jesus said when he's speaking about the tree, Verily I say unto you, if you shall say to this mountain, Be moved, and don't doubt your heart, but believe that what you have said will come to pass, you can have what you said. Now, it just wasn't for Joshua only. It was for any believer that can take God's Word. 
First, you've got to have the right motive and the right objective, the right reason for it. Now, but it was a paradox. We know, many of us know, and I've seen myself, such things like that happen, creative things that I know it's happened. The impossibility, if I had time to linger on it, but I haven't, of scientific proof of the impossibilities of creation, only God himself could do it. Because he's God. A God that could perform a paradox there is still the same God today that still can make a paradox. Right. Noah's time. In Noah's day, it was a paradox. You remember, there had been no rain on the earth till the day of Noah. God watered up through the springs and so forth. But Noah began to build an ark. What was he doing? Before the paradox ever taken place, Noah made preparations for it. Oh, may I say this afternoon, if we here today will only prepare for a paradox, the one who can bring a paradox is with us. The God who all of his works is paradox, past understanding. Incredible but true. He can bring a paradox. Noah got ready for it. I'd imagine in his preparation times that people said, wonder what that old crank is having out there. Up there pounding away on a an old wooden ship. It's never rained. It's, uh, there is no such a thing. I'd imagine science could come out to Noah and say, Look here! We have instruments that we can shoot the stars. And there's no rain up there. How in the world can your words be true when it's going to rain and there's no water up there? But you see, if God has said it was going to rain... He can make rain. So he got ready for it. Made ready the par- for the paradox. And it rained. Abraham, when he's on top of the mountain with his only child, little Isaac, he had waited for 25 years to get the child. And then when the child was about 14 years old, God told him, what was he doing this far now to confirm that God keeps his word? No matter how unreasonable it seems, he still can perform and make a paradox. He said, take this little 14-year-old boy of yours, take him up on the mountain, and offer him up for a sacrifice. And he took him up to the mountain. Now, if that him being then about 115 years old, waited 25 years on the boy... And you're the boy, and he's going to destroy the only evidence he has of seeing this promise of God to be father of nations ever taking place, and then he's asked to destroy that. That's the reason he called the place Jehovah Jireh. For when he's just about ready to fall in line with complete obedience to God, the Holy Spirit caught his hand, and a ram bladed behind him, hooked by its horns in the wilderness. What was it? A paradox. Look, he was three days' journey from his home, back among the wild beasts. And besides that, on top of the mountain, where there couldn't have been a sheep, and he wouldn't have been up there where there's no water, where did that ram come from? 
It wasn't a vision. He killed the ram. Blood ran out of it. It was God the Creator. Because he stayed in the line of duty to God's Word, there come a paradox. And he killed the ram. Died in his son's place. A paradox. It certainly was a paradox in Sodom a little before then. When Sarah laughed at the voice of a man in human flesh out there, which was God, and he had his back turned to the tent, the angel did, and he spoke to Abraham and called him his name, Abraham, called Sarah, Sarah, when he just received that name a few days before, and said, um, Abraham, I'm going to visit you according to the time of life. And Sarah in the tent laughed. And the angel with his back turned to the tent, not, not one of these, just like um, a theophany, he was a man with his back turned to the tent, said, why did Sarah laugh in the tent? Saying this cannot be so. It was a paradox. One time when Israel's armies were standing in defeat, and there was great soldiers there, mighty man, Joab, Saul, head and shoulders above every man he had in the army, all armored with great armors and swords, trained man from boys to fight. But because they seen the opposition so great, they was afraid to meet the challenge of the boasting Goliath of the Philistines. Afraid to meet it. But there come a little stoop-shouldered, ruddy-looking fellow. His mom had baked some raisin pies. And he brought them up to give them to his brothers. And while he was milling around, hunting his brothers in the camp, this Philistine walked out and made his boast. Said, choose you a man and come over here and fight me. If we won't have any bloodshed between the nations. Of course, that's the way the enemy likes to brag when he thinks he's got the edge on you. Said, bring him over here and then we'll choose and we'll fight. And then if I kill him, you serve us. If he kills me, we'll serve you. And you know what? He said it at the wrong time. There was a little old stooped boy in there, ruddy, the Bible said, that had known what God meant. He had seen God in action. He knew that the God of Israel was a God of eternity. And he knew that God had delivered him out of the paws of a lion, out of the paws of a bear, with a slingshot. And he said to his brethren, do you mean to tell me that you Israelites of the armies of the living God will stand here and let that boasting Philistine say the days of miracles is past? <laughs> Do you mean to tell me that you'll let him get by with that when God's promise is behind us? Yeah. Hallelujah. God's promise is back of us. Do you mean to tell me you'll let him boast and say? David was the smallest of the whole army. And he wasn't even in the army. He had not affiliated with them yet. So he, uh, he was kind of an offspring, off-scow. And he was a trained man. He hadn't been in the seminary yet. And he didn't have the ecclesiastical jackets that the rest of them had. But uh, and when they tried one on him, it didn't fit him. <laughs> and I think about the same thing today. When we get Saul's ecclesiastical jacket on us and tell us the days of miracles is past, there's no such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't fit a man of God. 
Christ. God's people believes in a paradox. Believes in God. And this little fellow stood there, shoulders drooped, little piece of sheepskin around him, no great armor and so forth on. So he said, uh, you mean to tell me you'll let that uncircumcised Philistine, that unbeliever, say there's no such a thing and defy the armies of the living God? said, I'll go fight him. It was a paradox. When a little boy challenged a giant with 14-inch fingers, a man with no sword or no shield, as they could see, challenged a man that had a spear like a weaver's needle, about 30 foot long. It was a paradox. What did he do? He said, you meet me as a Philistine, in the name of a Philistine. You meet me with an armor, with a spear, and in a trained college. But I meet you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. That's it. And a little ruddy child boy, probably 16 or 18 years old, with a slingshot, slew that big boasting giant. Paradox. Because he trusted God. Certainly... Moses, after being a well-trained man, a military man, knowing what he was talking about, he knew how to hold an army. He knew how to fight and to try his weapons, but it didn't work. It was a paradox after talking to God in a form of fire on a bush that took a dry stick off the desert and went down and took over an army took over a nation with a dry stick. <laughs> took over an army. Took over a nation at the age of 80 years old with nothing but a stick in his hand. <laughs> what was it? It wasn't Moses nor the stick. It was the God of creation in that was what was it doing. God in this old dry stick. Take this stick in your hand and go down there. As I said the other night, a one-man invasion. <laughs> now, where Moses got in trouble in the flesh and killed one man, it always hung on him. But he went down there in the spirit and slew the whole nation. It was a glory. <laughs> sure. He was following the commandments of the Lord. That's what does it. I've often thought how ridiculous that might have looked to the carnal mind. An old man, whiskers hanging down over his bosom, Probably his bald head shining to the sun, hairs drooping down, pulling a little donkey behind him, his wife sitting on there with a young un sitting on her hip, this old stick, his eyes looking out towards the skies, walking down through there. Where are you going, Moses? Going down to Egypt to take over. <laughs> <laughs> the thing of it is, he'd done it. Because he could go in the name of the Lord. God only needs one man in his hand. He can do the rest of it. He's tried to find man. Sometime he can get a man in his hand. And he went out and took over a whole nation with a stick in his hand. Now you just tell me if that's regular, the regular routine. For a man to take a stick in his hand and go over and take over Russia. If God sent him, he'll do it. 
Because the God that sent him will be with him. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And when he, the Father that sent him was in him. And when God sends any man, Christ goes in him. Sure. As the Father sent me, the Father that sent him went with him. And the Christ that sends the man goes with the man. See? There's just paradoxes everywhere. Now, a dry stick. But he went down and tuck it over. How ridiculous. Seems strange. It seemed ridiculous. When there wasn't a well nowhere, down in the valleys, all around over the hillsides, they couldn't even find a smell of water. And the driest place that was in the desert was that old rock. Go out here in the desert and look and see. Look like back under a nice pile of earth or somewhere that would be a little spring. Get down in the valley where all the waters run down and dig down there. You'll find water the quickest. But God sent him up on the hill to the driest thing there. That's the way God does. He likes to take something as nothing and show that he is something. And I've often said, God takes the nobodies to make somebody out of them. But when people think they're somebodies, then they become nobodies. God's sign. Now, we find out that Moses took that dry stick and hit the rock. And when he did, water sprang forth. Now, get a stick and go out in the desert and start smiting on rocks. It was a paradox. It was a paradox when God rained manna out of the heavens. Yes. It was a paradox. No doubt, I wonder if he didn't have big ovens up there to bake it. He didn't have to have it. He was a creator. And he created the manna that fell fresh every night. He didn't have to have ovens. He's a creator. One time when a believer got in wrong company, we have that all the time, a believer by the name of Jehoshaphat got into the wrong company with Ahab, a make-believer. And when a make-believer and a believer gets together, you've got trouble. Now, when you get a believer in a seminary that's got a bunch of make-believers in there, you've got trouble again. So, Jehoshaphat Wanting the axe to grind, or Ahab, rather, sent for Jehoshaphat to come down. He showed him all the glory of his kingdom. And Jehoshaphat, like a believer, sometimes seeing the exciting, something extraordinary, he becomes excited about it. And that's when the man has to watch. That's where you girls have to watch some little guy with his hair slicked down. And be careful. Some of you boys have to watch that little, little Jezebel, you know, Leads you off the wrong way. Be careful. Stay in the right company. Notice. So here was a believer in the company of a make-believer. So he had an axe to grind, of course. And he said, now I'll tell you what we'll do. You know, we're brothers. We all just the same, but we're not the same. No, sir. You don't mix oil and water. No, we're all just the same. So let your chariots be ours and ours yours and we'll go up to Gil- Gilgal and we'll fight this battle and push these, the enemy off. Well, Jehoshaphat had enough common decency about him to say, don't you think we ought to consult the Lord first? I can imagine uh, great President uh, Ahab saying, <clears throat> why, it's certainly so. Sure, we're, we're a great nation here pleasing God. So you know what? I've just got the answer. Oh, yes. I've got a seminary down here so full of them. 
I got 400 of the best trained prophets there is in the country. I got the best. You ought to hear him say, Amen. You ought to hear the sweet little prayers they can pray. Bring them up! Let's see them. So they dressed themselves to make something uh, handsome looking, stood out in the gates, and when they did, they brought up 400 prophets, and when they did, all of them prophets. And they said, Go up and the Lord bless you. Go up there. We're 400 strong with one accord. Go up. I'll bless you. Be with you. But that didn't strike Jehoshaphat. You know, they can tell you all these things are fine, but right down your heart, you know, as I said yesterday, that little still small voice turns the whole wheel. Something didn't seem right. He said, uh, Sir, haven't you got one more? One more when the whole seminary's here. Why, here's Archbishop so-and-so and all the rest of them. He's done made himself some iron horns and said, By this you'll push the enemy off the land. And it seemingly it was just exactly right because actually the land did belong to Israel. See, it can look so really so right. But if you want a paradox, you've got not to divvy one speck from God's Word. You've got to stay right with the Word. Jesus said, If ye abide me in my Word in you, then ask what you will. But it's on a condition... Now, it seems like that land belongs to us. Why can't we go get it? It's ours. It belongs to us. And those men were not just heathens. They were Jewish prophets. And they said, go up the Lord's with you. But what it was, they got mixed up in the world. During the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, she led them around and, and they got them all mixed up in the world. And really, the Spirit of the Lord wasn't with them. So then he brought them out there and they prophesied. But yet that didn't kind of satisfy Jehoshaphat. He said, haven't you got one more that you can consult? He said, yes, I got another, but he's a holy roller. I, I just don't like him. He's always cutting at me. Praise be to God. He's always bawling me out. He believes I got the worst wife in the world. He, he, he's horrible. We just can't have him around here. Oh, he said, don't let the king say so. Like to hear him. He said, he's Micah, the son of Amlin, but I, I, I just don't like him. He's always saying something bad about me. I've had him in jail a dozen times. But he's one of them holy rollers. But we don't want him up here. Oh, don't let the king say so. Send for him. So they had a forerunner, sometimes like you do when you're going to a revival. Uh, shh, but don't say nothing about this. Don't you preach against this. Oh, the, they don't believe in that. Now, you leave off of this. Now, don't you say nothing about... Uh, <clears throat> well, you know what I want to say, don't you? <laughs> don't say nothing about that because you're going to hurt, you, you hurt their feelings. Now, they've got pastors there. and they, they tell them this, that, don't you? You say the same. Micah, a man anointed. He said, I'll only say what God puts in my mouth to say. God, give us some more light. But I only say what God puts in my mouth. Let's see if his vision was with the Word. That's the way it's judge it, which is right. See which one lines up with the Word. Micah come down, he said, How many times do I adjure you? Micah said, Go on up. First give me the night. Let me see what the Lord will say. Now I'll tell you what thus saith the Lord. That's right. Seek ye the kingdom of God first. Let's see what's right. So that night, Micah had a vision, and he saw the Lord. 
And he examined that vision with the Word. And it was with the Word. Any vision, dream, or anything else that's contrary to the Word is not right. Let me stop just a minute. A man come to me not long ago, come from overseas. The man was wrong. He had three or four children and a wife. And he was running around with a woman over here. I don't say anything immorally, but it just didn't look right. You see, you have to watch what you're doing in the eyes of the public. You're written epistles. And he said, I kind of called his hand on it. I said, sir, I hope you don't think I'm rude, but I'd just like to say something as a minister. Don't you think that the people here will think? Oh, I said, no, no, that's all right in my country. I said, but you're not in your country. See, you're over here. And the people think something about that. He said, I said, do you know the woman? Yes. I said, do you know her background? I did. He said, yes. He said, Brother Branham, I know she's living right now with her fourth husband. said, and Brother Branham, you know what? She's such a sweet woman. said, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, tell me what's the matter with this woman. So why would you bless her with the Holy Ghost and everything and living in adultery? He said, well, said, you know, the Lord gave me a dream. and said, I see my wife living immorally with another man. And I said, and said, then she come up to me and fell down and said, will you forgive me? And he said, sure. And said, then the Lord said, I forgive her. He said, see, no matter if she has done the way she's doing, I forgive her. I said, sir, your vision or your dream was sweet, but it don't line up with the Word of God. Right. God can't say one thing and take it back over here. He's got to say one thing and stay with it till he accomplishes that which is purpose for And you see the paradox. So we find out. And Micah said, go on up if you want to. But I've seen Israel like sheep scattered, having no shepherd. And then, Sezekiah come up, which is a high bunch of the biggest, one of the prophets, or the most effectual one, the leader of them, come up and said, slapped him in the mouth and said, which way went the Spirit of God out of, when it went out of me? <laughs> he didn't have the Spirit of God. He said, I've seen Israel scattered like sheep on a hill. And so he said, take this man the king did and put him in the prison and feed him with bread and water of sorrow till I return in peace. Like all my shepherds here say that I will. And you return in peace. Now, if Ahab would have sat down and listened. Remember, we know that Elijah was an vindicated prophet. A prophet's just not jumped up overnight. Prophets are born prophets. Sure. And he had been a prophet since his childhood. And he, every word that he said, all of his doctrine was of God because God vindicated him and he was a prophet. He did. So then when he did that, he knew then Micah saw the vision. And the vision was comparing with, with the vision of the prophet. Two prophets got together. And Elijah had told Ahab what was going to happen, that the dogs would lick the blood off of him. And how could Micah bless what God had cursed? Now let me stop a minute. How can God today bless what he's cursed? Can't do it. Lying, stealing, cheating. All this stuff is wrong. And many other things I could say. If it's wrong, it's wrong. What happened? We found out that was a paradox. 
that one man, one little ragged holy roller, stood up here in the face of a whole seminary of prophets. And God vindicated his word because he was with the word. That's right. It was a paradox. When God took John the Baptist and made him the forerunner of Christ, instead of taking one of the rich royal priests, it was a paradox. How would God take a man that had no education at all, went into the wilderness at the age of nine when he lost his parents, stayed out there in the wilderness, come out look like a fuzzy worm, a beard out on his face and a piece of sheepskin wrapped around him and stood in mud up there and called the, the audience is preaching to a generation of snakes in the grass. Could you imagine God taking a man that would say that to an audience? of sophisticated Jews that believers supposed to be? Is that you generation of vipers? Not hello, Bishop so-and-so. I'm so glad to see you. Oh, you sissy fine. Oh, you generation of vipers who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Don't you think we belong to this or that? God's able these stones to write children to Abraham. And God vindicated and caused the paradox. He saw the Holy Ghost descending like a dove upon the Son of Man. It's a paradox. What was more of a paradox than the virgin birth? Now, I know I'm not, don't want, now we got a mixed audience. I want you to understand me. For I'm expecting something. And to expect something, you've got to stay with the Word. If you abide in me and my Word in you, then ask what you will. That's the conditions. Not today and tomorrow something else and twist for this and twist for that, but stay straight with the Word in Calvary. Then ask what you will. Now we find that in this virgin birth, many of the people, you precious Catholic people, my background's Catholic too, you know. So we find out that today you take Mary and make her a goddess. An intercessor, Brother Valdina, here somewhere on the platform, uh, I believe was down in Mexico, General Medina, Medina. He was here the other night, put his arms around me and spoke to his interpreter and said, Brother Branham, I admire your courage to stand on your conviction. To stay with it, son! He's a man, military man, that knows what it means to give an order and set out on the front line. You stay at your post. That's what God wants his soldiers to do. Stand at the post of duty, regardless of what comes or goes. Stay there. Stay right there. So he said, um, this virgin birth, uh, down in Mexico there, and there was just uh, all kinds of saints. That's where the little baby was raised up from the dead. You saw it in a Christian businessman. I want to thank you for that compliment. God bless you. When the little baby, we wouldn't let it go just like that until the doctor stated that the baby died that morning at 9 o'clock. And this is about 10 or 11 that night. And the little sister standing out there, a little Catholic girl with a baby in her arm, and 300 ushers couldn't keep her off the platform. Billy come to me and said, Daddy, you'll have to do something about that. So that that's all there is to it. said, she ain't got no prayer card. said, because I've looked. said, that brother, I don't know, excuse me, Mexican people. But I called him manana, which means tomorrow, I think. He's supposed to come get me at 7 o'clock and he come at 9. Always, about two or three hours late. He's bad as I am. And then 
Here he was. He was giving out prayer cards, and he'd walk along with all of them, you know, and Billy watching him to be sure he didn't sell one. So watching him, walking along. Be careful. I sent him down there to do so. So he was decent about that. So I got on the platform the night before there. There'd been an old Mexican brother come up in the whole rack pile full of old clothes that night. Poor old Mexican, little old dirty feet, about 80 years old, stone blind. Old hat in his hand, sewed up a twine card, dust all over it. And he's going along there saying something in Spanish, and I couldn't understand him. And so he was trying to get to me. When he found out, he reached down his pocket and brought out a rosary and started. Not necessary. He's blind, and I pulled the old fellow up to me. I thought, you know, you have to feel the person's condition or you'll never help him. You've got to enter into their suffering. If you don't just cold-heartedly, it'll never work. You've got to place yourself... I looked at a poor old fellow, maybe a big gang of little children out here somewhere, and their economics are very poor. That's right. Maybe a poncho gets uh, 30 pesos a, a week, and he's a bricklayer. And the other one gets 15 pesos, Pedro, and, and uh, he's a section hand, and, and he's got a bunch of kids to feed. And then you know, old greasy tortilla somewhere made out of amoeba lettuce and things to throw it away. But he's got to save so much to buy a grease kettle to go on a million-dollar order for his sin. Nonsense! Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is the one. We need no altars of million dollars. We need an open heart. So that little old woman down there, Billy said, and first about this old man, I put my foot up to see my shoes. There I was standing with a pair of shoes on and probably never had a pair. I thought, if my shoes would fit him, I'll give them to him. But my shoulders against his is much bigger, so I couldn't give him the clothes. And I put my arm around him. I thought if my daddy would have lived, it'd have been about that age. And I said, "Oh Lord God, he, Brother Espinosa, he's probably here somewhere. He never interprets the prayer." And I prayed, "Lord God," and I heard him out "Glory, adios." And he looked around. He could see better than I could. He was could see. And there he went screaming. And the next night, old shawls and coats piled up like that all over the platform. And Billy said to me, "He said, Daddy." You cannot keep that woman off there. Since she's got a dead baby. Pouring down rain. And they'd been standing there. No place to sit down in that big place. No place to sit down just leaning against one another since 9 o'clock that morning. And this is about 10.30 that night. Standing that sun and rain. Oh, America, America. How one day you'll come up on the little in the horn and let they repent. That's right. Loving God. That night I saw about 25,000 people coming to Christ at one time. There to uh, Mexico City. Then I noticed in this little woman down there screaming. The ushers would try to stop her. She'd stick that baby on her arm and run right between their legs. They'd try to hold her. She'd jump up on top of them, climb over them, scratch and fight and everything to get up there. And they said, you can't get up. Hold her back. So I said to Brother Jack Moore, I wonder if he was at the convention. I said, Brother Jack, go over there and pray for her. She don't know me. So pray for that baby and that'll stop her. And I turned back, I was like this, turned to look, and I saw in a vision right here in front of me a little dark-skinned Mexican baby, no teeth, grinning at me. I waited a minute, I backed away, I looked again, I said, wait a minute! Paradox. Bring her here! The ushers opened up the line. She came up there and fell down being a holler, Padre, I said, just a minute, get up. And I said, Heavenly Father, I don't know what that meant. But under this blanket, it's soaking wet, is a little dead baby. They said it died this morning at 9 o'clock. This little woman's heart is long, and that's her baby. I lay my hands in obedience to that vision. About that time, the baby went, wah, 
and he screamed and began to holler, Come to life! It was a paradox! I said, Brother Espinosa, don't write that down. Go to the doctor and get a signed statement. That baby died. And he did. See? Paradox! I've seen that happen five times now. Five times. Paradox! The virgin birth was a paradox. I do not believe that Jesus was any part of Mary. That was not his mother. It was a woman that God used for that purpose, an incubator to bear his child. If Mary, if the seed of the woman, which she is the egg, and the man has the hemoglobin, if that's right, doctor, you see the, the blood, the life lays in the blood cell. And a hen can lay an egg. But if she hasn't been with the male bird, it'll never hatch. Now, I've often said this, and I say it again. It's coming springtime. The birds will all be building their nests. An old mother bird can get on her nest and huffle them eggs and stay on there so loyal until she nearly starves to death. She gets so poor she can't fly off the nest. Them eggs will never hatch if she hasn't been with the mate. Uh, brother, nothing wrong with Episcopalians, Methodists or Baptists. But what have we got? As long as it's an organization, let it be Pentecostal. If those people hasn't contacted the mate Jesus Christ, you've got nothing but a nest full of rotten eggs to lay right there. I don't care how many PhD, LLDs, double LDs, or whatever more you put to them in seminary, that's only of the world. We've got to find the germ of life. God's spoken eternal life, except the man be born again. What you got? You make deacons out of them, bishops and everything else. You got nothing but a bunch of rotten eggs. The only thing you do is clean out the nest and start over again. You'll never be able to do it until we get started. You want a paradox? You want life? You have to bring life into it. That's right. Mary, if that baby's body, which the flesh comes from the egg, and if that baby's body was flesh of Mary, then what? then Mary had to have some kind of a sensation. You see where you put God doing? God created both egg and blood cell. And he wasn't Jew. Neither was he Gentile. He was God. God in the form of sinful flesh. That's the reason I'm not letting my Holy One see corruption, neither leave his soul in hell. He was... The manifestation, God, to come into a tabernacle that He created Himself. Jesus never did in all the Scripture call her mother. He called her woman. Not mother, woman. Said, Thy mother is outside seeking thee. He said, Who is my mother? Looked at the disciples and said, The one that does the will of my father is my mother. That's right. So you see, it was completely virgin birth. Both sides, virgin birth. A paradox cannot be explained. There's nothing can explain it. Here some time ago, I was in the mountains hunting. There was a big old tall fellow named Jeffrey, G-E-V-R-E-Z, a Frenchman. We was riding back, and I just met him, and he said, uh, What are you? I said, I'm a preacher. He said, You look too intelligent for that. <laughs> and I, I said, Well, that's just opinion. <laughs> and... Uh, he said, I guess you believe that that baby was, was a virgin born. I said, yes, sir. He said, sir, that's against all scientific rules. I said, you can't prove God by science. You have to believe him. You don't prove God, you accept it. You believe it. If you can prove it, it is no more faith, and it's a, something that you can explain. God cannot be explained. Then, 
rode a little farther, and he said, I don't believe, and there's nothing the world can make me believe. He said, Joseph was the father of that baby. I said, God was the father of that baby. He said, there is no such a thing. And I said, oh, nonsense. He said, look, Mr. Brown. He said, before you can raise corn, before you can raise a tree or anything, there has to be an actual contact of male and female before it can do. He said, you cannot do that. It can't reproduce without actual contact. I said, I want to ask you something, Ann. You told me that men come from the teaching the ethics of Darwin. That man came from a single cell, which was a little uh, jellyfish or something that turned into a sponge and a jellyfish and then rolled out and rolled a little wart and arm come and so forth, all like that. And I said, then you claim that that was the first man. He said, I believe it. I said, my faith's not that strong, sir. I said, I couldn't believe that. I just believe what God said about it, see? That he made man in his own image. And I said, I want to ask you something, then. If you'll admit that that this woman could have had the baby, but she had to have actually contact with a man. said, yes, sir. It's against all scientific rules. I said, then I want to ask you something. You know, Mama always told me, give a cow enough rope, it'll hang itself. Now, I said, I want to ask you something then. Where did the first man come from that had neither father nor mother? <laughs> Where was that come from? He hasn't answered me yet. <laughs> There's no answer to it. God created the first man. God is a creator. It's a paradox. I got to hurry for it. Very much hurry. Oh, my. How does those... Where does all the time go to? I want to meet you all over yonder where I can just stay for a million years. Each one of you would talk about these things. Notice, one time there was a, a man. Oral Roberts talked about him the other night. Samson, just an ordinary man. I'm going to go more ridiculous than him. He was not a, just an ordinary man. He's just a little bitty old shrimp. Little bitty guy. If a man had shoulders like a barn door, it wouldn't be nothing to see him kill a lion. But this little old curly-headed shrimp, seven little curls hanging down his head. He's walking along out there, Mama's little boy. And here he was walking out there like a little sissy. And the first thing you know, a thousand Philistines run up on him. Now, if you ever seen the Philistine garment, wish I had time to explain it. But that helmet is about an inch and a half thick of solid brass over his head. Now, remember, they could tipper brass in those days that we can't today because Solomon had a razor of his brass. Now, notice the brass helmet and all over his body was thick lap brass so he could move in his armor. A thousand of them trained. And here they met the servant of the Lord out there, a little curly-headed shrimp, probably a little jacket on. But the Spirit of the Lord came up. And he picked up the jawbone of a mule and beat down a thousand Philistines. Yes. Why, brother, that old rotten jawbone of that mule, you'd hit one of those big brass helmets with it, why, it would have splattered in a thousand pieces. Sure. But it was a paradox. God was on that old jawbone. Hallelujah. Didn't get on a dead one, surely could on ours as alive. Notice a paradox it was indeed. And he took that jawbone and beat the helmets right down like that till they mashed down a thousand Philistines. Paradox. <laughs> Jesus, when he was here on earth, he walked on the water. Explain that to me. Scientifically, tell me how a man can walk on water. Paradox. One day he took five biscuits and two fish and fed five thousand. What kind of an atom did he turn loose? Now that wasn't even fish alive. When he broke that bread, broke it off of a piece of biscuit, when he handed out 
time he got his hand back again, there was another biscuit there. Already raised the wheat in the field, already cooked, all the grease in it, feed seasoned. Here was a piece of fish, he broke it off, and another piece of cooked fish. Amen. Hallelujah! That element is given to us if we'll just abide in the Word. Stay there! I believe we're on the verge of seeing it happen. Live true to the Word. There you are. He had cooked fish. That was a paradox. It was a paradox when he went to choose his church that he chose fishermen instead of priests. That's contrary to nature. Looked like he'd had a great big church with all bunch of ministers all shined up and polished up and knows their theology and got all their PhDs and everything. That's where he come to, but he just bypassed the whole bunch. <laughs> Went down and got some fishermen that couldn't even sign their own name. The Bible said that Peter and John was ignorant and unlearned. That's who he got for his church. That's a paradox. Certainly. Yes, sir, he chose fishermen instead of man. Instead of priest. Now, we find out that on the day of Pentecost, it's strange that he chose a bunch of unlearned people and sent them up there with the commission at Pentecost, not to go to some seminary, but to wait until they was endued with power from on high. If that man, Peter and John, and them wanted to preach, they were ignorant and unlearned, looked like he'd said, Boys, there's a fine school right over here. You go till you learn your ABCs. Then if you do that, you'll take your grammar school, get all that through. Then you'll take four years of high school, and then four years of college, and then about four or five years of Bible school, and then you can go out. But he said, Wait in the city of Jerusalem, for I'm going to send the promise of the Father up on you. And then you will be witnesses of me. Luke 24, 49. Witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's still his requirement. You know, I've had some experience, a hurry, with pagan, pagan religion, idols. I've been in Africa, India. I've seen the fire walkers when they stand up there. the great big old image there with big eyes, rubies like that, and big rubies in the ears. And how those poor people, they're not hypocrites. Farmers come out there and they get ready for that. The priest blesses them, pours the holy water on them, and, and they take big fish hooks with balls about that big, round, full of water, and just cook their flesh full of them, doing sacrifice to an idol. Then they take, put them in their ears, sew their mouth together, put a lance up through there, they've lied, put their nose and mouth together, and pull it down, and then walk through fire, strip four or five feet wide, 30 feet deep sometimes, all the way across for 30 yards through that fire getting themselves ready for that, for an idol. Now, idolatry is a bad thing. Now, let me just background this just a moment, because I'm just going to a few more remarks, then I'm going to close. But I want to make this. You see, it was a, it's going to be a paradox. The pagan, the idolater, now, the Indians out here, here in the southwest, they used to worship idols. They had what they called the rain god. It was a mud turtle. They know he lived down in the rain, down on the earth, and they believe that that God of the rain come into that mud turtle. Now, in the old pagan Rome, they used to have Jupiter and many of the gods, and they say that those gods live. 
And they had wars. You've studied mythology and so forth. So these gods are supposed to, how they did it, they had a great big altar and this statue stood up on it. And the worshiper come in and he paid the priest for a candle. And they took, and he went out to the temple. Sometimes there's several gods. And he set it on the altar so I guess the god could find his way to his right image. And they set it down there and lit this candle. Then the worshiper went and got, the priest got some fruit ready and made a sacrifice and brought wine. And he actually had communion with the idol. Then he prostrated himself before the idol. And he laid there in such a stupor until the imaginary God that looked like the image that he had built come and got into that idol and talked back to him through that idol. That's idolatry. The imaginary God, what they thought through an idol, that he was able to hypnotize this God with his offering and his burning candle into this God. And then when his soul got so entangled with that, you see where's the devil? See? And, he, and he would think that God spoke back to his conscience through there, and it was actually a God to him. Now, God was going to show them what a real God was. And on the day of Pentecost, they prostrated themselves for ten days. And not an imaginary, but there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And God never took an idol. He took a living man and placed himself by the baptism of the Holy Ghost into this man. Not imaginary God, not imaginary thing, but a reality of a real God in a real man. And then this man rose up and worked the works of God. Strange that he did that. Strange that he didn't take some smart man to note something about that. They'd have tried to figure it out, but he took a bunch of ignorant fishermen and put them up there, and they prostrated themselves on a promise of God for ten days and nights. Then the God of heaven came and dwelt in those men. Jesus said, a little while in the world won't see me no more. Yet ye shall see me, for I will be with you, even in you. John 14, 12, he said, the, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. More than this shall he do, because I go to my Father. That's the reason he said in Mark 16, These signs shall follow them that believe. It was a living God in a man that could lay himself out before God according to the Word of God, and the Word of God would be made manifest in him. Amen. It's, it's a paradox. Every time you see a man receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's a paradox. How the God of heaven makes himself known in this man, talking to him, working to him, living through him. It's a paradox. And we are in the image of God, and God took his own images and brought himself into the image of his own image that he made. A paradox. God once lived in man. Then sin drove him away. Then God killed his own son and then let God come back and live in his people again. Yes, sir. It's a paradox. It's a strange thing how that he does it. The church, God chose his church to be a paradox. How that he took instead of the polished scholars and making that a church, the theologians, he took a bunch of ignorant, unlearned fishermen and he gave the keys to the kingdom, not to the Ephesus, the high priest learned. What did he do? He gave it to the ignorant fishermen. Not a man who knows all the ins and outs. He gave it to a man that had prostrated himself before him and knowed him. Not, you know, not to know his book, his life, but to know him, his life. And the keys was given to Peter. Paradox. Did he do that instead of Caiaphas? is the smartest man in the, in the religious realm. He gave it to Peter. 
Now, do you believe in paradox? An old druggist told me not long ago, he said, Brother Branham, one day during the time of the Depression, said, son and I were sitting in the drugstore and said, oh, it was hard. Instead of a woman come in that was to be mother, she had a prescription to be filled. And said, my son went up to wait on her, her and her husband, and said, when he looked at the prescription, he said, she said, I don't have the money to pay for this. And he said, right over there is a place where you get the county up. I'll get it for you. And said, her and her husband turned gently to go out to see if the county would fill the prescription. Said, something struck me. Don't let that mother, said she, hardly able to stand on her feet, let alone have to stand in that line there for hours to get that prescription filled. Said, son, go call her. Bring her back. Said he went and called her and brought her back. Said, I went back there and filled the prescription with the very best drugs that I know that I had in the store. And said, I walked it up, tucked it in my hand and laid it in the hands of that woman. He said, Brother Branham, we're sitting drinking them all together. The old druggist, a real man of God. He said, you know what? He said, you may think I'm crazy when I say this. But said, when I laid that in her hand, I looked, it was Jesus standing there. I had put it in Jesus' hand. Yes, a paradox. The great St. Martin, he was a heathen. His father was. He wanted to serve God. There's a law in France at that time that if the father was a military man, the son had to serve till he was age. Listen close. And when they drafted him in the army, he had a servant. And of course, every soldier had a servant. Instead of the servant shining his boots, he shined the servant's boots. He's a great man. He loved God. What taking place? One night, cold winter night, the wind's blowing, people freezing to death that hard winter. When he passed through the gate, there laid an old bum in there saying, Please, somebody help me. Somebody help me. Somebody. The people who could have helped him passed him on by. Martin gave everything he had away. And he looked. The soldiers wore a cape, a coat. He needed the coat. He'd freeze himself. So he took his coat off, took his sword and split it half in two, wrapped the bum up in part of it, he took the rest. The people laughed at him. What a funny-looking soldier with a half of a cape on. But that night in the barracks, he woke up. And when he looked, there stood Jesus wrapped in that piece of garment. There stood angels all around him. And he said to the angels, you know who wrapped me in this? He said, Martin wrapped me in this. Then Martin knew what Jesus meant when he said, insomuch as you do unto the least of my little ones, you have done it unto me. When he wrapped that old bum, he wrapped Jesus up for Jesus is in that old bum. So we don't know who we're passing by. It was a paradox. I believe in him with all of my heart. If we just humble ourselves now before God, believe with all of our heart. Here some time ago, a great intellectual man come up before a bunch of Pentecostals. He's going to make a Pentecost, uh, intellectual speech and tell the people where they were wrong and all about this and such and such. And he had it all, a real speech. But he walked up with his chest out, you know, and me, the big guy with so many degrees and so forth like that. And he started talking to Pentecostal people. And the Pentecostal people didn't take it. See. So he seen he was defeated, so he, he folded up his notes. Nothing had been said about the intellectual speech. But trying to say that the Pentecostal phenomenon of speaking in tongues was wrong, the Pentecostal miracles he was talking about was wrong, that didn't hit with them people. So he was so humiliated until he took his textbook and Walked off the platform. There's an old saint sitting out there. He said, you know what? If that man would have went up the way he'd come down, he'd have probably come down the way he went up. <laughs> so <laughs> that's about right. See? The humility to humble ourselves before the Lord. It really is a paradox. God is a paradox. 
The visions are a paradox. We just can't explain how that God can show things that was, which is, and shall come. It's beyond any of our research. The old prophet's visions, back down to hundreds of years ago, and we see them happening yet today. It is a paradox. It was a paradox when Andrew went and got Peter, his name is Simon, and brought him up before Jesus and told him, said, you know, our daddy told us there'd be all kinds of isms going on before the real Messiah come. But he told us, according to the scripture, that Messiah was to be a prophet. The Lord your God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. Now, the Messiah is going to be a prophet. The Jews all believe that. The Bible said, if there be a man among you spiritual or prophets, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in visions. And what he says comes to pass, then hear him. Right? So, when Andrew took Peter up there and he looked around to Peter, Jesus did and said, Your name is Simon and your father is Jonas. Peter knew right then that that was a paradox, that God was absolutely the only one to know him and his old father would have to be God. When Philip went out and got Nathaniel and brought Nathaniel back up before Jesus, and he come in the presence of Jesus, and Jesus said, Behold an Israelite in whom there's no God. That stunned him. He said, How'd you know me, Rabbi? Listen! Before Philip called you when you were under the tree, I saw you. What I? Fifteen miles around the mountain. He saw through the mountain through time and saw Philip under the tree. When the woman at the well at Sychar came out there, a beautiful young woman, perhaps to get some water, maybe the she had to come out when the rest of the decent women was gone. Jesus was sitting over a little panoramic, something like this. And so she said, uh, he said to her, woman, bring me a drink. She said, it's not customary. We have segregation here. You Samaritans, us Jews, we have no dealings with one another. Not right for you to ask me, a woman of Samaria, such a question. He said, but if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink. She went talking about the well, how deep it was, and what the fathers had said, and so forth. What happened? In a few minutes, he, she said, he found her trouble. He said, go get your husband and come here. She said, I don't have any husband. said, you've said the truth. You've got five husbands, had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. What did she say? Listen. When he did that before the Jews, the Jews said he's reading their mind. He's Beelzebub, fortune teller, a devil. But this woman said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. We know when the Messiah comes, he'll do these things. It was a paradox, you see. We know that you must be a prophet. Messiah will do this when he comes. But who are you? He said, I'm he that speaks to you. She knew that was God. She knew that was a sign of the Messiah. So she hurries into the city and said, Come see a man who told me that my troubles. Isn't that the very Messiah? And the people of the city believed on Jesus for the woman's sake. Now, I believe the same God that performed paradox then can make a paradox right now. Amen. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. The Bible said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just bear with me a minute long. Before he left the world, he said, As it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Sodom, remember, Abraham's seed, had, Abraham had come along seeing all these things of God. But the last vision, the last thing that Abraham seen just before the lukewarm world was destroyed... Now remember, as I've always said, there's three classes of people. The unbeliever, the make-believer, and the believer. 
They're all vindicated. There's all vindicated right there. The sodomites, like the world today. The lukewarm believer down among them, living in their muck. And then Abraham, the elected church, called out and set aside. Angel came down from heaven. Two of them went down and preached in Sodom. They didn't do no miracles. They blinded him one night. Preaching the gospel does blind the unbeliever. A modern Billy Graham out amongst the Sodomites out there. Lay away! I believe Billy Graham's a man of God. Amen. And he out there preaching his message of repentance and get out of this Sodom. That was the message they heard. But remember, this one angel didn't go down there. But the elder angel that was sent to the church elect, he, said, he was a man eating flesh, drinking milk. And he sat with his back turned to the tent, called Abraham his name that had just been given him a God a few days before that, and Sarah the same way. He said, where is your wife Sarah? He said, she's in the tent behind you. He said, I'm going to visit you according to the time of life. And Sarah laughed. said, me an old woman have pleasure with my Lord? What did he say? Why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah come out and tried to deny. What? He knew what she was doing back there. That's the same thing Jesus did. He perceived their thoughts. Why? He was the Word. Hebrews 4 said, The Word of God sharper than a two-edged sword, a discerner of the thoughts of the heart, the mind. The Word. Jesus was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if ye abide me and my Word in you, what about that? Did God lie? He can't lie. He can't lie. He's God. Do you believe it? Amen. I believe it. Let's bow our heads just a minute. May God be merciful. Stop just a minute. The first paradox is when you were saved. The next paradox is when he gave you the Holy Ghost. Now let me ask you something. If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if I told you the spirit of John Dillinger was in me, you'd expect me to have guns, be an outlaw. If I told you the spirit of a painter was in me, you'd expect me to take the brush and paint pictures like it's on the wall. And if I tell you the spirit of Christ is in me, then I'll do the works of Christ. That's exactly what he said. Do you believe that? If you believe it, don't doubt it. God will make it manifest. Amen. Now, our Heavenly Father, I've spoken at length. Thou art God. Now, the only thing I can do, Father, is speak. You are the one who has to manifest it and make it true. And I pray thee, Father, that thou will grant this privilege to us through thy Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Give to us that which we desire, that these people might know, even rough, hard, tearing in, yet it's ordained of you, not with malice, but with love, to keep the church running smooth. The Bible said there are given to us first apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, all for the, the correction of the church, to keep the church in order. Sometimes our pastors tell us things that 
trims it. But God vindicates it by the man with the word proves it. And you're still God, and I pray that you'll make it known this evening that you're God. And these things I have done at your command. These things I have done not within myself, but because that the Holy Spirit was leading. I pray for mercy. I pray that you'll grant the request of these people. In the name of Jesus Christ. I just keep your heads down a minute and pray. Have faith. If you will believe, not doubt. Just believe with all your heart. Believe that God will do the exceedingly abundantly. I believe God will make himself known. I don't know a person in this building, as far as I know, I heard Brother Fred Softman saying amen while I was preaching. Outside of that, I won't count the platform because I know some of the men here, but in the audience. But if Jesus Christ, if he is alive and risen from the dead, and you people have a need out there, he's sure to supply that. You believe that? Amen. Just keep praying. If thou canst believe. Now, how many in here that's never been in one of my meetings? I see your hands up on many of them. I'm a man, just like any other man. But I believe in Jesus Christ, believe that he raised from the dead. I believe that he is God. He's God in us now, in the form of the Holy Ghost. And he said, the works that I do shall you also. Now, to talk about it's one thing, but for him to do it is another. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. I want you to raise your head just a minute. How many sick people's in the building? Raise up your hand. How many people's got someone sick that you could pray for? Raise your hand. Sinner, whatever it might be. Now, there's a little woman one time touched the border of Jesus' garment and was made completely whole. He passed by, and all the people were touching him, and, and he said, this little woman slipped through and touched him, touched his garment. He turned around and told her, said, somebody touched me. And everybody, Peter rebuked him. Oh, you know, a thing like that. He said, the whole crowd's touching you. How could you do, how'd you know who touched you? All of them is touching you. Who touched He said, but I perceive that uh, virtue's gone out. I got weak. And the little woman had touched him. He looked around in the audience till he found her. And when he did, he told her what her trouble was and her faith had healed her. You believe that same God lives? Would it help your faith if he had come today and do the same thing? Amen. What about you, businessman? Glory to God. You believe it? Amen. Will you pray for me? Amen. I'm not sure of this, friend. I never had a meeting like this of amongst the businessmen here. I'm trusting. Be alert. Pray. Now, the word, the word, if I've told the truth, 
And if God vindicates that truth, He'll show signs and wonders. He'll show it Bible, just what the Bible says. It'll have to be that kind of a sign and a wonder. You believe that? If He'll at least two or three people out there in the audience that's sick or needy or something, if you'll just pray, now look, if you look to God and say, Lord Jesus, Brother Branham don't know me, knows nothing about me. But he's made a declaration there, I've heard him explain it out of the Bible, that you still live. And I heard him praying that you'd show us something just like you did before you was crucified. Therefore, we'll, the great Holy Spirit that we believe we have, it'll prove itself that it's God. Is that right? Amen. Prove it among us. Now you pray and just believe now. And say, Lord, now does the Bible say this ministers, all you preachers that believe this? Look, Jesus Christ is a high priest right now. Sitting at the right hand of the majesty of God. Is that right? A high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Is that right? How many knows that's New Testament doctrine? New Testament doctrine. All right. Then how would that high priest act if you touched him? If he's the same, he'd act the same way. Like that woman that touched him. You say, I'd have been there, I would have touched him. Well, you can touch him right now. The Bible said so, and that's what I believe. It's the Bible. You believe it. All your heart, don't doubt it. Anywhere in the building. Now be real reverent. Just as reverent. I don't say God will do it. I don't know. How many have ever seen that picture of the angel of the Lord? Oh, sure we forgot to see. I had that in the notes this afternoon, but not time for it. Just be praying. Now, Lord, this is if you desire, Lord, don't let me tempt you. Father, never do I want to be a tempter of God. But, Father God, if it will glorify you, then let the people know that I've told them the truth. Speak that I've told them the truth. Grant it, Lord. I've spoke of you the best I know how, your word. That's the word. I stayed right with it, Lord, regardless of where it went, how it, whatever. I stayed with the word. Now, Father, I pray thee, speak back that I've told the truth. Vindicate it, Father. In Jesus' name. Just keep praying. Saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that. I believe it. I don't know, friends. It'll be up to the Lord now, see. I can't feel it somehow. And I'm I'm just like this microphone, a perfect mute without something speaks through me. But well, that's a gift, a way to relax myself in the presence of God that he'll show me vision. I trusted he would do it when I got down on those paradox. But maybe he doesn't desire to do it. I, if it is, I can't help that. See, I just have to wait and see what he says. Just real quietly, everybody praying. I'm just watching across the audience.
still small voice speak very All right, raise your hand. He's here. Now I challenge any unbeliever. Yes, amen. Amen. Now, speaker forever, hold your peace. You just only believe. Ask you anything now. Seek God and see if God won't answer back that it's the truth. you turn your head. little lady sitting right over here. She's suffering with a bronchitis condition in her throat. She comes from Flagstaff. If you will believe with all your heart, you can have what you ask for. Do you believe it, sister? Rise up on your feet and accept your healing. Now let me repeat her prayer. She was saying, Lord, I am suffering so. Let Brother Branham speak to me. Wave your hand at those things. She was praying for, for me to call you. At that time, when I called you, you was praying for that. Is that right? Wave your hand like if it's true. Are we strangers one another? Wave your hand back again. I don't know you. If that's true, wave your hand back again. What did she touch? Glory to God. There's a lady sitting right out here is praying for a friend that's got cancer. Do you believe with all your heart? God will answer your prayer. See a person, man, very, very sick. If you'll believe it with all your heart, I'm looking into a vision. God bless you. You can have it. I don't know the woman. Never seen her. If that's right, the lady's sitting right through here and looking at it. There you are. Wasn't you sitting there praying, Lord Jesus, let this... God bless you. Somebody praying. Here. Here's a... A person sitting right in here. Don't you see that light? Right over top of a little gray-headed woman sitting right down here. Yes, the lady raised her hand. She has diabetes. She's not a native here. She's from a mountain country. Switzerland. There's a whole group of you there from Switzerland. That's right. Believe in you and go back home and be well. You believe? Back in here. You people. Here. Here's such a lady sitting right here. I've never seen her in my life. But she's suffering with the trouble with her throat, trouble with her eyes. She's sitting right here looking at me. She's a woman preacher. Stand up on your feet and accept it, lady. Be made well. I don't know the woman. Never seen her in my life. You try to hide your sin now. 
Here's a man. He's been past his opinion of me. That's right, sir. Your profession is a teacher. And you have spiritual problems you're wondering about. If that's so, raise up your hand. They'll all be settled. You accept me as God's prophet. I'm telling you the truth. Thus saith the Lord. Do you believe? Here's a lady sitting right back here. She's suffering with a condition on her breast. She's had three operations. She's missing it. Let God help me. Miss Alexandra, receive your healing in the name of the Lord Jesus. If that's your name and that we're strangers, stand on your feet. Stand up on your feet if that's right. I've never seen a woman in my life. Do you believe it? That is the same Jesus that once lived. I don't know. I'm a man. Do you believe? Receive him. Here. There's a woman sitting right down here. Don't know her. Never seen her. She's a nurse. And she's praying for her patient. Patients suffering with a mental disorder. We're strangers to one another, aren't we? If God will tell me who you are, will it help you? Will it help the audience? Here's my hand. I've never seen a woman in my life. But we're strangers. Raise your hands, lady. You're Mrs. Brandon. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Do you believe all of you? Is that a paradox? Why, he's still God? That the Holy Ghost is all around here now. Do you believe it? Now the words that are said is true. God's confirmed it. Now do you believe God with all your heart? Then put your hands on one another. Start praying to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How could you be any closer to Jesus Christ than you are right now? Lay your hands over on one another and pray the way you do in your own church that God will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you will see a paradox like you've never seen before. Believe it. God will show you a real paradox. Oh, Lord God, hear this prayer of your servant and may the devil turn this audience loose right now to the power in the name.